Well, good morning. We had a good trip down to Cummins this last week on Tuesday evening, and uh, barring a few uh, crazy drivers who were trying to get home from rush hour quickly, we made it through all the traffic and were able to have a, a good meeting with those men down there and, and be able to encourage them and be encouraged by them. And it's, uh, it, it warms my heart when they come in and they're glad to see us and they say, you know, they, they post uh, what the schedule is and who's going to show up to, to do the chapel. And so the men know ahead of time uh, and they get a choice when they, they select certain barracks uh, that have the opportunity uh, to come down to chapel. And so the men get to decide whether or not they're going to go. They don't have to go. But they tell us, we saw Summers Avenue was coming and we knew we were going to be here. And so we, we've been doing this long enough and, and the congregation has a reputation now through our Bible correspondence courses, through uh, just our times with these men, uh, that they look forward to us being there and, and, and representing you and, of course, representing uh, the Lord, representing the church. And uh, so we had a, a good, warm evening with them. And I just want to encourage all of us to remember, not just those in Cummins, but uh, Charles and Gil and... Uh, Frank, they, they're dealing correspondence courses and those that are helping them uh, with all the prisons. And so uh, just remember those who are in prison, some for a few months and some for life. And so uh, everybody needs encouragement and everybody needs to know about hope in Christ. And so we carry that with us when we go. So the Apostle Paul was... Um, when he was converted to follow Jesus, he went around and was planting churches. He planted a church in Ephesus. In Ephesus, uh, he had help with some friends of his, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, and had friends, uh, you know, their friend uh, uh, Apollos from Egypt. And so they planted this church there in Ephesus. And Ephesus was in modern-day Turkey. And it was a very interesting and eclectic place, uh, old Ephesus was. And so uh, there was a healing spa there that was designated to uh, Asclepius. And so this is an inscription that you would have seen identifying a, a healing spa. And you might recognize the, uh, the snake around the staff there, and that's where we've kind of evolved that into what we would know as the caduceus, our, our medical symbol uh, that we recognize today that came along a little bit later, of course. But people with ailments would travel from all over to go here to Ephesus. They flocked to the spas of Ephesus here as, as they went through these treatments that, that would go through uh, this bathing and, and cleansing and, and dietary purges and, and sort of like hot springs, except for the purges, although I'm sure you could probably purge something in hot springs, but that's kind of what you would see, like a bathhouse row sort of deal. And so Ephesus was known particularly for two things. They had the Temple of Artemis, or Diana, one of the, the great wonders of, of the world at that time. And then this enormous attraction for magicians and exorcists, this mystical arts that were filled, uh, filling the streets of Ephesus. And so if you think about a cross maybe in our time between Hot Springs and Las Vegas, that would have been, you know, Ephesus, the picture there. And so this town was full of New Agers and selling crystals and biofeedback reports and reading auras and meditation and harmonic convergence all through this, this city and this town. And so Ephesus was known as town-based, whose economy was based on tourism and magicians and idols. That's what kept them going, right? And so then along comes Paul and these Christians and this following of, of Jesus. And so Paul taught in the church's meeting place in Ephesus, did that for a couple of years. 
But then that attracted negative attention. Had people coming in that were trying to oppose him and contradict what he was teaching. And so he moved into some rented space, kind of some more controllable environment. And so the Bible says that that God did extraordinary things through Paul while he was there in, in Ephesus, which included a lot of healings, miraculous healings. And so healings in Scripture were not done indiscriminately. There was a purpose that God allowed and made possible these healings. And so it was a sign that pointed to the divinity of Jesus, to the divineness of Jesus, to to the godness of Jesus. And so there was a purpose behind these. Paul wasn't on some street corner doing miracles from three to five. And so you better get there early because the line is long. That's not what was going on. You didn't make an appointment for him to straighten your leg, you know, one day. But because people knew he had the gift of healing, they were coming to him and they were taking stuff, taking handkerchiefs and other articles of clothing and hoping that, that he would just touch them. They could just come in contact with Paul. And so healing sometimes occurred when things had touched Paul, clothing had touched Paul. And then they took that, that, that clothing and would touch the sick person. There was nothing superstitious or, or mystical about that. God allowed that to happen. He allowed it to happen. So I don't know how it worked. Because I don't know how the Spirit works. I don't know how the Spirit moves. But I know and recognize, and Scripture tells us, that the Spirit indwelling Paul was strong. The Spirit was full in the Apostle Paul. And so, you remember uh, the the story where the woman was hemorrhaging, and she reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' robe, and she was healed. Jesus didn't even see her do this, but Scripture says he He felt it. He felt this power move. From him, And so I imagine it was something like that with Paul and, and what God was allowing there. And when you think about the, the, the scenery here, it's, it's so far removed from what we know today. The fact is, you don't have to turn many channels on your television or go to many websites to find something much different, right? And so you can call a phone number for healing. You can order a cloth, you know, that, you, that, that proclaims to, to produce healing. You can buy miraculous Healing items on eBay, search it. You can do that, right? And so you can buy cancer cloths to put on your tumor. People are selling this stuff, making a lot of money off of desperate people. You can buy a prayer fleece to lay out to determine God's will for your life. You can buy this stuff today. You can have a miracle medal that you carry in your pocket to heal and prevent illness. And so people who are desperate will try anything. And they will put their faith in anything and they will buy anything and they will eat anything and they will visit any self-proclaimed healer in hope of being healed. Desperate people will do desperate things because in our desire to cling to life, we're really no different than the people at Ephesus at this time. And so in Acts chapter 19, we come across a very short and bizarre and one of my favorite stories out of the Bible about these brothers who were part of this apparent family business in Ephesus. And so Acts chapter 19 in verse 11 begins, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. But some Jews went around driving out evil spirits and tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, 
I command you to come out. And so the Jews, as a people, they enjoyed some, some pretty high respect among the practitioners of these magical arts in ancient times because they, they believed that the Jews had this highly effective spell at their command. They knew the history of the Jews. They knew about this God that the Jews worshipped and served and, and, and lived under. And so the stories of the God of Israel were known and, and the fact that the Jews wouldn't even speak the name of God for fear that they would profane it. And so it just added to this pagan misunderstanding of, of God and His power, who this God really was. And there's an ancient writing of magical spells and incantations. It's held in Paris right now. And it contains these words, I adjure you by Jesus, the God of the Hebrews. And that's on a pagan spell book, right? They're trying to invoke the name of Jesus and God for their pagan spells. Because they know they don't have any power. But they've heard and perceived that God does. And so they think, well, we'll just use God for our stuff. And so in Ephesus, you have these traveling Jewish exorcists who, much like the, the snake oil salesmen of the day or the infomercial kings of today, they tried every means possible to make a buck pushing their product. And so this Jesus following was the newest craze. Everybody was talking about it. And they had heard and seen what was going on, right? People healed, demons cast out. This was amazing stuff. And so there were people who looked to make it rich and famous based on the same action. We want to get in on this action, right? And so in verse 13, you see the ignorance of these people. And so they're using smoke and mirrors and they're calling on the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, right? The Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Jesus was not a unique name. And so to hear this name in Hebrew as the Jews would hear it, would be the name Joshua, right? And so Jesus, as we know the name in our English, is from a Greek variation of that Hebrew name, okay? So they had to clarify, it's not just any Jesus, it's this Jesus, the one that Paul has been talking about and preaching about. So they tried to cast out Evil spirits in the name of that guy that Paul talks about is effectively what they were saying. They had no relationship whatsoever with Paul or with Jesus or with God. They don't acknowledge him as the son of God. He's not going to be their savior in any way. They're hoping he's their meal ticket. And so Jesus to them is a tool to get what they want. Jesus is their snake oil. And so in the middle of this circus is a family of a guy named Seva. And so in verse 14 says, seven sons of Seva, y'all try to say that ten times, seven sons of Seva, seven sons of Seva, a Jewish priest, they were doing this stuff, right? They were getting in on this action. And so there's, they didn't write with parentheses or quotation marks back then when, when Luke, who's probably writing Acts here, wrote, wrote this, because if they did, he would have enclosed the quotation marks, Jewish high priest, Right? Because Luke indicates by this writing that this guy was self-proclaimed. He was a self-proclaimed Jewish high priest. He's using these false credentials, maybe, maybe some family lineage in the past, but certainly he's not practicing priest at this time. And so he's using these expired credentials at best, and maybe to give his son some credibility and attempts to kind of you know, boost their, their, their street cred as they're attempting these exorcisms. And so we're told that these seven sons were also using the name of Jesus and the name of Paul to try to cast out these evil spirits. 
But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. But who are you? (laughs) Who are you? I've known Jesus. I've heard about Paul, right? And the things he's been doing. And you are neither. You're neither one of these guys, right? I know the power of Jesus. I know that Paul's been doing these things by the power of Jesus. But you boys have brought a pea shooter to a machine gun fight, right? And so then this demon-possessed man goes all mixed martial arts on these boys. He goes all MMA on these boys, right? The man who was possessed by the evil spirit jumped on them and beat them all into submission. He prevailed against them so that they fled from that house naked and wounded. Naked and afraid. (laughs) So apparently the demon was the only one in that room who knew Jesus. And so every other instance where a demon comes into the presence of, of the power of God, what does the demon do? That demon is done, right? He's finished. Stopped in his tracks. Extinguished. And so the power of Satan stands absolutely no chance under the authority of Jesus Christ, of which these boys neither knew nor were they capable of claiming. And don't we do that sometimes, right? We pronounce Jesus into our lives. We call on Him to bless something we've already decided to do. We've already made a decision. We just got to make sure that we get a little blanket of Jesus over it for good luck, for good measure. And so we joke about how sometimes it's easier to ask Forgiveness and permission in life. But then we unwittingly do that with Christ. So we call Him to bless our disobedience or bless our ignorance. And then we call on Him to bail us out when we're getting our clocks wound by Satan. And so Jesus I know. Paul I recognize. But who are you? And so to claim the name of Jesus is not something to fool around with. It's not trite, trivial. It's a matter of life or death. It really is. And so this demon-possessed man took these brothers to school about Jesus. Because not everyone has the right to stand on the name of Jesus. And James called it faith without works or works without faith without action, right? Words without action. And so James 2 and verse 14, it says, what good is it? Dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions, can that kind of faith save anyone? And look down at verse 19. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Hey, you believe. Awesome. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. That's the difference. <laughs> they may not obey and, and, and worship God, but at least they fear Him. And so James is calling out people who profess Christ who do not live their lives in fear, in reverence, in awe, in submission, in obedience to the very Christ whom they proclaim. Even the demons, even the one man in Ephesus, they, 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 they believe that God is God and Jesus is the Son of God. They have faith in that reality, but they don't obey. And so their actions, their lives don't back it up. They call God God and they call Jesus Son of God, but they don't obey Him. And so a lot of people put their Bible under their arm and walk around town for everyone to see, but the evidence in their life reveals something completely different or certainly a drastic different truth because there's gossip and there's hate, there's sexual sins, there's abusive, neglecting those in need in their language maybe, 
and their attitude. Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you pretending to be? Who are you? And so these sons of Seba believed about Jesus. They wouldn't have been trying this. They didn't believe about Jesus, right? They knew his name. They knew what had been done through his name by others. They had witnessed it. They had heard about it. But what they didn't realize or what they just flat out ignored is that to know about Jesus is far from knowing Jesus. There's a big difference. And so even more than that, to be known by Jesus. And so Paul calls this action the aroma of Christ. Second Corinthians chapter two and verse 14, the Apostle Paul writes, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, and to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. And so for the sons of, of Seva here, this, this, this demon-possessed man smelled the fragrance of death. <laughs> but the scent was on them. They were the ones who stunk. They were the ones who were perishing. They were the peddlers of God's Word. And, and, and we should know that those around us can smell it when we're faking it too. So they can tell. They can tell by our actions. They can tell by how we conduct our lives. They can tell by how we treat other people. How we handle situations. People can tell. They can smell death. Whether or not we're being led by God's Spirit. How do we know? Well, there's their fruit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? What's the evidence of the Spirit? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? The, the demon recognized these fellows, you've got no real power. You're imposters. You're fake. It's empty words. That you're speaking to me. Not influenced one bit. In fact, not only was the demon not influenced, he was provoked. <laughs> it was provoked. Which is an understatement, right? When we try to live our lives following our own self-will. Trying to, to plot our own way. Ignoring God's direction. Our own feelings. Our own impulses. Being led by them. We set ourselves up to be overpowered by Satan. Overpowered by sin. And then we find ourselves fleeing naked and wounded by that sin. So I wonder how many people these boys knocked down while they were running for their lives. <laughs> how many people they left laying on the sidewalk in their path. I wonder how many ladies and children they frightened running naked and bloody through the streets. You know, some sins are what the psalmist calls secret sins. Those are sins in my heart. Those are sins that or between me and God, at least for right now, right? Bitterness, covetousness, haughtiness, anger, pride, lust, those sort of things. I can kind of keep those hidden. Sins hidden in the heart. Maybe they don't truly surface. Maybe nobody really recognizes them. But God sees the heart. There's nothing hidden from God's side. But then you've got other sins. Like these naked men running through the street, right? They offend sins that frighten other people, knock other people down, proverbial or otherwise, leave a path of damage. That's what sin does. 
That's what sin does. And as they were running for their lives, verse 17 says, This became known to all who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. Fear came over all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was praised. It was praised. There, there were an estimated 200,000 people living in Ephesus at this time when, when Paul was there and preaching and teaching and living there. This was a major city in the trade routes of Rome, right? And so everyone in Ephesus says, found out about this. This didn't just float around in Jewish circles about Oseva's boys. Word got out on the street. Even the Greek residents knew about this. They were talking about it at their dinner tables. And so Scripture says they were afraid. Fear fell on them. And so it was well known what Paul and his colleagues had been doing through the name of Jesus, this Nazarene. But when the imposters took up the name, it's a whole different story. And then we read, though, even as they were, were profaning the name of Christ, and God worked this whole circumstance here, we read that the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. So people realize there's something about this name. There's, there's something that Jews for centuries had proclaimed. That they're understanding now. The Jews who wouldn't even write this name for fear that it might profane God. They realize that there's something that even though they may not fully believe it, they can at least respect. And those who were believers? Those who were believers? What about the Christians in Ephesus? What about... Those who heard about this, everybody wasn't on the straight and narrow. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. See, there were some believers there living double lives. There were some believers doing some things that they should not have been doing. Out of one side of their mouth, they're confessing Jesus is Lord. And out of the other side of their mouth, they're maybe speaking these mystical spells and these incantations, practicing magic art. God got to make a dollar, don't he? So they wanted the benefits of Jesus without the full commitment to live by the teachings of Jesus. And they had given themselves over to the lust of the flesh and the, the, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. They gave in to that. And it was lucrative. Made them a lot of money. Moved them up the ladder in society. But they stank. It's the smell of death. So the aroma of Christ, the aroma of life, had been replaced by the aroma of death. But then they repented. They repented and they confessed and they gave up these ungodly practices. And they were counted as forgiven. So it's like bacon and eggs breakfast, right? The chicken is involved, but the pig is committed. You guys have seen this. Leadership circles have, have seen this in, in seminars and stuff. The chicken was involved, contributed a little bit. But the pig was committed, right? And so those who came confessing, they, they, they also bore the evidence, the commitment of true repentance, the fruit of repentance. And so it says in verse 19, large numbers of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them up in the presence of everyone. And when the value of the books was added up, it was found to total 50,000 silver coins. And so Luke says the value of the things that were burned were 50,000 pieces of silver, silver coins. And so you put that in today's economy and estimates that that's about five to ten million dollars worth of merchandise that they just burned. They gave up. They sacrificed themselves 
at the foot of the cross for Jesus Christ. And this wasn't a Lord, forgive me and then move on. This was the pig. (laughs) These were people convicted and committed. They didn't have the money or the time to go out and replace that. They were saying, all that has been about me, God, now is about you. Now it's about you. Because acknowledging sin can carry a big expense. There's this huge hurdle in life called pride (laughs) that we've got to get over. As we acknowledge our sin, there's consequences that have to be worked through and and lifestyles that have to change. And sometimes it leaves us nearly beaten to death when we're fighting and resisting and and naked before the world with our mistakes. That's the consequence of sin. But Jesus tells us that we've got to light the bonfire and we've got to throw all of that in. Because what profit is there if someone should gain the whole world You've got everything you wanted, but lost your soul. These people were convicted and they were committed. And they were no longer condemned. Because they realized that the name of Jesus is not something to throw around carelessly. The name of Jesus isn't something that you can take up as a badge of honor and then dishonor and shame it. So to bear the name of Jesus is to bear the promise of His redemption through His blood. It's the forgiveness of sins. It's the great, merciful gift of God. His grace in Jesus Christ. Many in Ephesus got it. They got this. Because they went beyond the words of professing Christ to living their lives according to the counsel of His will. They went from living this way to living God's way. How do we know? Because Paul writes about this later. What did we read earlier? Although you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly lived, according to this world's present path, according to the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the ruler of the spirit that's now energizing the sons of disobedience, among whom all of us formerly lived out our lives in the cravings of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, And we're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Remember how we used to be. All of us. Remember how we used to live. All of us. Remember how we used to think. All of us. Remember that. Because if we don't remember, not dwell on, but if we don't remember, we lose sight of the blessing and and, and the wonderful gift. Of forgiveness through Christ. He says, remember that. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus to demonstrate in the coming ages the surpassing wealth of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not from works so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so that we may do them. We may do them. That's evidence of a changed life. Evidence of a committed life. Evidence of obedience. It's moving beyond just the words that we speak and allowing God to make us alive in Christ. What words are you living by today? 
Are you living your life hoping for grace and mercy from the, the, the Jesus of Mama? Or the Jesus that Grandpa followed? Or the Jesus that, you know, those, the other Christians who are better than me, different than me, not as sinful as me, are following? God calls each one of us individually, personally, to the throne of His Son. His Son that God put flesh on, sent to this earth for you and for me, for each one of us and for all of us, so that He could live in full obedience to satisfy the wrath of God be crucified on a cross for you and for me, for us. But then raised again, seated at His rightful place, the right hand of God, to be Lord of our life, King of kings, Lord of creation, and Lord of eternity. But the thing is, we've got to make the choice to follow Him. It's an individual choice. And it's not a one-time choice. It's daily. And for some of us, and for some of our days, it's hourly, right? Because Satan never sleeps. He never sleeps. He's got an army of people. And they look like friends. And they look like family. And they look like co-workers. And they look like life. Calling us to Profess their name. Follow them. Do what they do. But we've got to listen to the voice of Jesus. The voice of truth. So this morning, what voice are you listening to? What name are you proclaiming? The evidence is in our lives. And if you have not been living your life by the will of Christ, He calls you to confess that sin. Repent of that. Ask His forgiveness and then receive it. And then go and Live differently. Start again. As long as there's breath within you. And if you have not confessed Jesus Christ as the Son of God, been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, submitted your life to Him and to His will, then God calls you to do that today so that He can joyfully and lovingly invite you into His kingdom, His family, our family. Will you make a choice for Christ today? Will you listen to the true voice that's speaking into your heart this morning? Will you make your choice as we stand and sing this good song?